Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our worship service. I'm glad you're here with us. We are going to enter the Lord's presence and sing his praises. You know, it's called worship, which I always think of worth-ship, is that we are singing about his worthiness for the honor and the status and the, that we're going to give him this morning. So glad you're here. Um, so we're going to start our service with a responsive reading from Romans 8. And you'll see some bold print in there for you guys. I'm going to give you permission to even shout if you want. That's to be a real strong sense of absolutely. So say it with gusto. So let's practice right now. The first word that will be bolded is the word no with an exclamation point. So let's hear you say no. Ooh, pretty good. So let's read this together. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? No one. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he give us everything else? Yes. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? No. Good. Nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither Neither angels angels nor demons, demons, neither neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's come and worship this God who has given so much for us and loved us so well. So if you're able to, please stand and let's sing together.
vielen. Good morning. Good to have each of you here with us this morning as we gather together, as we celebrate what we just sang, that we serve a God, we follow a God who alone is able to rescue us, to save us. We can never do that work ourselves, but He comes and He saves us and does the work for us through Jesus on the cross. And so it's our, our pleasure, our joy to come together as His people here this morning to to celebrate that fact and to rejoice in Him and worship Him for that. If you're new or visiting, my name is <clears throat> Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church, and we are glad that you are here with us this morning. If you are new or visiting, there's anything you want to just communicate with the, the church or help us get to know you better, there's a connect card in the seat in front of you. You can fill that out, put any information in there you want to share with us, and then drop it in the offering boxes that are on the back wall on your way out this morning. Those boxes are also where you can place any offering you like to give to what we're doing here as at the church. Just a few announcements to bring to your attention this morning. Coming up in May, right, despite what the weather feels like, May is coming. Coming up in May, we have a few, a number of events to kind of make you aware of and that we would appreciate help with. The so one is on May 2nd. Uh, there's a group that will be serving uh, the Northwood Shared Dinner over at um, the Rock Mission Center in Eagle River. And so that's May 2nd. We're going to serve dinner. If you want to help with that, help serve, help prepare meals, you can join us at 4.30 over there. Dinner will be served at 5.30. Again, another thing come up in May is that the Fun Club Carnival. So the past Wednesday, we had our final kind of official, normal fun club of the year, and it was a great celebration of all that took place over the course of the year. So many kids who are here, many of them not normally in our church, who heard about Jesus and got to learn about him that way. <clears throat> but coming up on May 10th, we'll have a kind of a final celebration carnival where we'll have games and activities and um, just a lot of stuff going on. But we need volunteers to help run those games, to help set up, to do a number of different things. And so if you're interested in helping volunteer with that, you can contact Ann Epler. Her number is in your bulletin. Then in late May, on the 26th and 27th, we're going to have a a large rummage sale fundraiser here at the church. So if you're interested in either donating items to that or helping with that in any way, either in the week leading up to it or during the sale itself, you can contact um, Melissa Warner. Her number is in the bulletin as well. As we continue in this time of worship this morning, would, we, would you join me in preparing our heart and our minds as we pray to our Father God? Father, we, we thank you for this time to gather and to put aside other worries, other concerns, other cares, and become together as your people, as your children, as your sons and daughters that you brought to this place so that we can worship you, we can sing songs that bring you glory and honor and praise, so that we can hear your word and grow in our Christ-likeness, so that we can 
come together and encourage one another and sharpen one another. We fellowship together this morning. We thank you for this time to do all those things. Father, I pray for each of us gathered here that if there are cares or concerns or trials that are working in our minds this morning, Would they all be put aside for the moment to focus on and delight in and glorify you? Whatever those cared or trials that we may be wrestling with this morning are, would you give each person here confidence that you love them, you care for them, and that you are at work even in the midst of those trials and difficulties. Would we worship you this morning out of a deep assurance that you love us and you care for us and you want good for us? Father, as we sing, as we hear your word, as we fellowship together, would it all serve to bring you honor and glory this morning? Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I'm sure you know, Pastor Tim is working through a series on the Sabbath, Sabbathing. And many of you are in small groups uh, following along with that as well. So right now we're going to watch a, another video clip from the Chosen series. This is one that we saw quite some time ago, and it does show Shabbat celebration in the first century, an artist's conception of that. And just a little backstory: this is a Sabbath dinner hosted by Mary Magdalene, and it's very shortly after Jesus released her from the demons that had tormented her. She was completely healed from that, and so let's watch this video together. Followed that mule, Barnaby. <laughs> Not that he waited. Looking as handsome as ever, Barnaby. <laughs> Lucky guess, Shula. <laughs> is this the place? If Mary's here, it is. Do I know you? Oh, sorry, I'm, I'm James. This is Thaddeus. We were told this would be a good place to come. We can leave if it's awkward. Oh, oh no, oh, please come in. You are most welcome here. Can we help? Oh, no. Well, uh, yes, I... I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you see food, that's a victory. If I'm not doing something or doing something wrong, you tell me. Oh, nonsense. It's already great. 
can't remember the last time I was invited to Shabbat dinner. Me never. You never been to Shabbat? Of course I've been to one. Been to lots. Just never got invited. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the extra seat for? Well, uh, for Elijah. Am I right? I, I remember my mother always setting an extra place for Elijah. That's only for Passover. Just once a year at Seder. When Seder comes, I'll have a head start on setting up. Just take a look at my little notes. Let's see. Can I read it for you, Mary? Stop it, Barnaby. I read better than you. Yeah. My father taught me. Very impressive. Yeah. <sighs> uh, oh, uh, is the first star out? Yes, let's eat. Like I said, you are very popular. Or it's a Pharisee here to shut us down for letting you be here. Hello, Mary. Hello. It's good to see you. Yes. Yes. I don't want to be rude, but would it be okay if, if I... Oh, <laughs> yes, of course. Please come in. I just never thought you'd done. Uh, I have guests here. Uh, this is my first time. I don't know what I'm doing. Rabbi, Rabbi. You already know these men. They are students of mine. I trust they have been polite. Of course. Your guests can take the seat. Yes, Mary? Oh, of course. Yes, of course. Please have a seat. I keep saying of course a lot. <laughs> um, Francis is the man I told you about who, um, who helped me. Oh, yes. Yeah, Mary told us so much about you. Oh, I hope not too much. I'm Barnaby. This is Shula. She is blind. Ah. In case you couldn't tell. I'm... I'm so sorry. I, I don't actually know your name. I'm Jesus of Nazareth. Hmm. Well, apparently something good can come from Nazareth. <laughs> well. Mary, I'm honored to be here. Why don't you begin? Oh, no, I, I couldn't now that you are here. You must. Thank you, but this is your home, and I would love for you to do it. Now the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. And God completed on the seventh day his work that he did. And God, and God abstained on the seventh day from all the work he did. And then God blessed the seventh day and he hallowed it. For thereon he abstained from all the work that God created to do. Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. You have lovingly and willingly given us You have lovingly and willingly given us your Shabbat as an inheritance in memory of creation. Because this is the first day of our holy assemblies, 
in memory of the exodus from Egypt. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the bread from the earth. artist conception of how Shabbat was celebrated in the first century. And as you know, if you've been here listening to sermons or in a small group, you know that the four main components of the Sabbath celebration is stopping, resting, delighting, and worshiping. So if you're able, let's stand and let's worship now.
Father, we thank you that you are indeed good to us and merciful to us and that we can look forward to the day when we will dwell in your house forever, when we will be fully at rest from the toils that come with living in this fallen and broken world, and we can dwell and worship you forever. But give us hope, give us confidence that that day is coming, and help us to be faithful until that day comes. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There's a, there's a line that I read recently from the author Brandon Sanderson. And he's describing one of his characters, and he says, this girl named Tress, and she, he says this about Tress. He says, Tress was a normal teenage girl. She knew this because the other girls often mentioned how they weren't like everyone else. And after a while, Tress figured that the group, everyone else, must include only her. The other girls were obviously right, as they all knew how to be unique. They were so good at it, in fact, that they did it together. Right? I like that line because it speaks to the fact that like, we often think we're being unique. We often think we're being different, being special, but really we're just like many other people. We're just kind of following the crowd. Like I cringe to think about some of the things that me and my group of friends in high school did to be different when in fact we're just being just like each other, right? We weren't being unique, we were being just like each other. Like it's, it's striking how, how often the things we do that we think make us unique turn out to be things that make us just like other people. In 2009, more than 300 babies in the, in the United States were given the name Unique, which makes the name Unique probably not quite as unique as those parents thought it was going to be when they gave their child that name. Among the many things that the internet has done is that it's shown us how ununique we really are. It used to be, right, that you could kind of convince yourself that you were one of the only people in the world that were into your obscure hobby because you knew nobody else who was into that thing as, as you were. But now finding thousands of people who are into the same thing, and in fact probably more into the same thing than you, is only a click away. So say, for example, you're into some weird hobby. Like, say you're super into pinball. Like, if you're in your small town and there's like one pinball table and you're by far the best player at pinball in that small town, you might feel like you're pretty special. You're pretty unique. Right? But then you can, now you can go online and you can log into Reddit and you can, you can find a community on Reddit of, I don't know if you can see that, but nearly 31,000 other people who are super in to pinball. Right? They're willing to discuss anything on there from, from strategy to like where to buy vintage machines to how to repair machines to like the best machines of all time. There, like, there are people on there who, are, no matter how into pinball you are, like, they're more into pinball than you, and you're not as unique. You're not as special as you think you are. Like, very little we can do makes us truly unique in this world. 
But last week we started this sermon series looking at the Sabbath, what it looks like to practice the Sabbath, and how God commands us to Sabbath, and how Sabbathing is important for our lives and our spiritual health. And as a reminder, we said last week that the Sabbath is a a 24-hour time period where we stop all work and we set aside the day to rest and to delight and to worship. Hopefully that's part of what we're doing here this morning. If you came here, this is part of your Sabbath, and we're resting, we're delighting, we're worshiping God together. This morning what I hope we see is that there are few things that we can do to make ourselves stand out in this world more than to Sabbath. That's what I hope we see this morning, that like, one of the very reasons we're called to practice the Sabbath right, is that the Sabbath is a declaration that God has freed us, God has redeemed us to live in a way that is distinct from the rest of the world. Last week, we looked at how like, it is good for us to practice Sabbath because it is hardwired into us as creatures made in the image of the Creator. A Creator who Himself rested on the seventh day. We were made by God. We were created with this like, desire to Sabbath hardwired into us. We just saw that clip from The Chosen. And it starts out by rooting the Sabbath meal and the Sabbath day in the fact that God himself Sabbathed. But it didn't stop there. It went on to say like, that like, we're also commanded to Sabbath by God in the Ten Commandments. And this week we'll see that like, we practice the Sabbath. Because it's a declaration that is creatures who willingly follow the Creator, we are called to be distinct and set apart from the world. By, by practicing the Sabbath, we declare to others around us that like, this world is not our home. We do not belong ultimately to this world, but we belong to God. And because that's the case, then we don't have to chase after the things that this world offers. We don't have to give ourselves the chasing, the fleeting promises of this world. We don't need to enslave ourselves to the cares of this world. Instead, we can live a life that is rooted in trusting in the goodness and the graciousness of our benevolent Creator God. The Sabbath is a, is a way of saying right, that we know that our identity And that our well-being and our righteousness does not depend first and foremost on us. It doesn't depend on how hard we work. Rather, our identity and our well-being and our righteousness depends on God and His graciousness. If you look around and see how the world treats work, The world will tell you that work should be a source of identity for you. That it should be a a source of financial security for you. And it ultimately should be a means of obtaining self-righteousness. But Sabbath says that none of those things are ultimately obtained through our own effort. But rather, each of those things is a gift of God's grace. 
So this morning, I just want to look at some of the, the false promises that the world tells us about work and then see how practicing the Sabbath can help address each of those false promises. One thing to note here is when we talk about work, often when we say work, we think of and mean like just our kind of occupation or like the thing that pays the bills and helps us care for our family. And that's certainly a piece of what work entails in the Bible. But it's more than just your occupation. It's also all the other things you do to either care for your family or to earn some kind of validation or when it comes to things that Paul called like the work of the law, things that we do to, that we think can earn us favor with God. But I hope you see this morning, we believe lies about all different kinds of work and what they offer us. But that the Sabbath addresses and corrects those lies. So let's look at our, our passage this morning. We're going to look at the command to Sabbath that's found in the Ten Commandments. But what's interesting is that there are two times right, that the Ten Commandments are given in the Torah. Once in Exodus, once in Deuteronomy. And those two givings of the Ten Commandments are nearly identical everywhere, but in one place. And that place is in the command, the fourth commandment, the command to Sabbath. There's two differences in the command of Sabbath in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. One is in the command itself, and one is in the rationale for the command. So in the Exodus version, the command is, in Exodus chapter 20, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Then in Deuteronomy, the command is, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That may seem like a, a minor difference, but according to the traditional Jewish understanding of the difference between those two words. The command in Exodus to remember is more focused on the positive aspects, the positive actions you are to take on the Sabbath in order to honor it. Things like the Sabbath meal that we just watched and remembering and delighting in God. Well, the command in Deuteronomy to observe the Sabbath it's more focused on the things that we're not to do on the Sabbath day. Then if you go further and you look at the rationales that are given in Exodus and Deuteronomy, those, that distinction starts to make sense. So in Exodus chapter 20, we read this. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor, your, nor any foreigner residing in your town. For, here's the rationale in Exodus. For, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the, seventh, the Sabbath day and made it holy. So in Exodus, the rationale is rooted in creation. That's kind of what we talked about last week, how God rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, but because he was satisfied with his work. And so he got to sit back and delight and rejoice in the work he had done. 
part of what it means to practice the Sabbath is to stop and just rejoice and enjoy all the good things that God has given us. But the rationale behind the commandment in Deuteronomy is different. In Deuteronomy we read, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Then, here's the rationale in Deuteronomy. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So the rationale in Exodus is rooted in creation. The rationale in Deuteronomy is rooted in God saving people from slavery in Egypt. And I don't know about for you, but for me, like the connection between observe the Sabbath and remember that you were slaves in Egypt is not immediately obvious. Right? Like, the Exodus passage makes sense. Like, Sabbath because God Sabbathed. But Deuteronomy saying Sabbath because you were slaves in Egypt, it's a little harder to make the connection right off the bat. Like, how does remembering they were slaves in Egypt and that God brought them out of slavery, how does that lead to the practice of Sabbath? kind of get to the bottom of that. We need to first remember kind of what the story of the Exodus is all about, what God did to bring his people out of Egypt. So just to refresh your memory, way back in, in Genesis, Jacob, who would later be renamed Israel, had 12 sons. Right? And one of those sons was Joseph. And his and Joseph's brother got jealous of him until they sold him into slavery. And then through a long series of events, eventually Joseph ends up as like, the second most powerful man in Egypt behind Pharaoh. And at the same time, there's this the famine in the land of Canaan where the Israelites live. And so they come to Egypt to buy grain from Pharaoh. And they don't understand, they don't realize that their brother Joseph is there. He's a powerful figure in Egypt. So they, they come and they ask to buy grain, not realizing that who they're talking to. And there's a long story in between, but eventually there's this beautiful scene of reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. And it culminates with the entire family of Israel coming to live in the land of Egypt with, with the permission of Pharaoh. And then that family grows and it multiplies. And that more or less is where the book of Genesis ends. Then Genesis ends, and the book of Exodus picks up here, saying this. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, The Israelites have become far too numerous for us. 
come. We must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built, they built Pitham and Ramses as store city for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the field. And all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So the Israelites, they become slaves in Egypt. And as slaves, they are, as we read here, worked ruthlessly. Their lives are made bitter with harsh labor. But then God appears to his servant Moses, and God worked through Moses to redeem the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. He leads them to freedom. The whole story of the Exodus is all about how God is redeeming his people out of slavery. He's freeing them from the slavery of bitter, ruthless work. And that work of God redeeming his people out of slavery is what the people are called to remember when they're told to observe the Sabbath in Deuteronomy 5. When they're told to remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. The Sabbath for the Israelites was to be a reminder that they were no longer required to constantly be subjugated to harsh slavery and ruthless labor because God had redeemed them. God had saved them. God freed them in order to to lead them into a life that would look different than the rest of the world. Back then, even if you weren't a slave, people who weren't slaves were largely subsistence farmers. They, they would work to grow and raise whatever they could eat and whatever they needed. They, they were subsistence farmers. And so the idea of taking a whole day off at the subsistence farmer was unthinkable. But God wanted his people to, to stand out and to be unique among the people. The, the Sabbath is a way for the people of God to stand out and declare that because God is with them, they can be different. Now, like our relationship with work and our like, understanding of the Sabbath is largely the same today. Like, obviously, we're not literal slaves to our work the way the Israelites were in Egypt. But many people, in one way or another, feel enslaved to their work. They feel they're in bondage to the demands that their job places on them. They feel trapped by by needing the resources and provisions that their job offers. The world and its attitude toward work teaches us to expect too much from work. And the Sabbath is a is a re- a repudiation of all that work claims to be, that it 
fails to meet. It's starting with this. Practicing the Sabbath as a declaration. It declares that work is not our source of identity. In Deuteronomy 5, after God tells the Israelites to observe the Sabbath, he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Being slaves was kind of part of their identity. It's part of who they were. The most important thing about the Israelites, according to the world, was that they were slaves. We find ourselves in in much the same situation today. For many people, the most important thing about them, the core of their identity is how much they can contribute to the economy or how much they can produce or how effectively they can do their job. There's an article in The Atlantic recently, and it, it said this. Right? It's titled, Workism is Making Americans Miserable. I don't know if you can read the subtitle, but it says this. For the college-educated, for the college-educated elite, work has morphed into a religious identity, promising transcendence and community, but failing to deliver. People are looking for identity and meaning and community in work. But as this article goes on to, to show, like it doesn't work. Work comes up empty. Work was never meant to be the source of our identity and the source of our meaning and the place where we find true community. God invited the Israelites to Sabbath as a reminder that he had redeemed them out of slavery. As a reminder that their, that their value and their worth and their identity was not tied to how many bricks they could make for Pharaoh. And the Sabbath should do the same thing for us. By stopping our work. We acknowledge that how much we can produce, how much we can achieve is not the most important thing about us. All the work we do is not the source of our identity. And by making that declaration, by saying that our value is not tied to our work, we distinguish ourselves from many people in our culture. We stand apart. The Sabbath says that what we do for a living is not the most important thing about us. How much we can achieve in one day is not the most important thing about us. Rather, the most important thing about us is that we have been redeemed by God. We, have, we belong to God. We are God's people. And therefore, we exist to serve God and not serve the demands of the world. I will say, since, since we've moved here to Three Lakes, like, this mindset of maybe not quite as prevalent here as when we lived in the Twin Cities and like, we are surrounded by people with high power jobs and different things like that. Like, life doesn't revolve around work quite the same way here as it did there for many people, which I'm thankful for. But we can all still be pretty susceptible to this. But I just invite you this morning to, 
to check your heart. And I have to question, do I find my identity? Do I find my value in the work that I do? You should be proud of your work, don't get me wrong. But that's like the core, the essence, the most important thing about you is what you do for a living or how much work you get done. Do you find your identity in work? And work might not even be your paid vocation. If you're retired or you don't work, like, you're, like you may find your identity in like how much time you spend volunteering at a certain place or how much time you spend serving the needs of your family. Like, do you find your identity in what you accomplish and what you produce? And if the answer is yes, I just invite you to consider Sabbathing seriously. Sabbath is a way, right? By stopping, by not doing those things where you find your identity, it's a, it's a way to remind yourself and to declare to the world that right, the most important thing about you is not what you do. The most important thing about you is that you have been redeemed by God and made His child. Our, our hearts are quick to find identity in the wrong place. We need rhythms that remind us who we are at our core. We need rhythms that remind us who we belong to, and that's what Sabbath offers. By setting aside 24 hours each week, we have a chance to remind ourselves on a weekly basis who we are and who we belong to. Now, some of you might hear that and you might say, like, I, don't, I don't find my identity in my work. It's not a problem I have. Like, I don't find identity in it, but I, I do need to work as much as I do in order to earn enough money so that I feel secure, or so that I can provide for my family, or so that I can achieve a certain level of well-being. If that's you, I would say, like, well, you need Sabbath just as much. It's not only does Sabbath declare that our work is not our ultimate source of identity, but the Sabbath also declares that our work is not our ultimate source of security. Our work is not the ultimate source of our well-being. Financial health or financial abundance is not the thing that will ultimately bring us joy and satisfaction in this life. When the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, if they had refused to work for a day, then surely they would have been beaten and punished and perhaps even killed by Pharaoh. Working ruthlessly was not an option. It was required. But then God came and he rescued his people out of that way of life. He redeemed them out of slavery. And now as his redeemed, rescued, saved people, he invites them to observe the Sabbath. He says to his people, you no longer have to work nonstop to please your master, Pharaoh. 
You don't have to work nonstop to earn whatever food or shelter Pharaoh may provide for you. Instead, God says, since I have redeemed you, you belong to me. I am your provider. I am the giver of good gifts, and you don't need to work yourself to the bone in order to please me, in order to earn food and shelter and security. As I said a minute ago, as after Israel, Israel settled the land, like, the vast majority were still subsistence farmers. And it, a day off, one whole day a week for a subsistence farmer didn't make much logical sense. Especially if that day was during the harvest. Or if that day was the best weather day they've had in weeks. It wasn't logical from an economic perspective. And yet the Israelites committed themselves to keeping the Sabbath. While the other cultures and other nations around them were, were working seven days a week to provide for themselves and for their families, the Israelites set themselves apart. They showed their uniqueness by taking a day off and not working on that day. They were saying to the world around them that they trusted that God would take care of them. They trusted that their God was their ultimate source of security and well-being. It was a way for God to set apart His people, to make them holy by having them not work. And for us today, taking a, a day to, to stop working and to, to practice the Sabbath can do much the same thing. Obviously, by, by God's grace and the abundance He provided our society, like most of us don't feel like we have to work nonstop just to have enough food to eat. But many people still work themselves ragged. Not to have enough money to survive, but to have enough money to keep up with the Joneses, to have enough money to afford the next level of social status in order to, to feed the materialism that runs rampant in our culture. The consumerism and the materialism of our culture drives us to work and to work and to work in order to be seen obtaining a certain level of financial success. But by practicing the Sabbath, by taking a day to stop and to rest from work, to not participate in work, we have a chance to, to reorient our priorities away from consuming, away from feeding materialism, away from focusing on money, and instead focus on God. And remember and remind ourselves that God is the giver of all good gifts. practice the Sabbath as a chance to remind ourselves that Jesus said, if, if God clothes the lilies of the field, if God provides for the bird of the air, then, then surely he will give us what we need. God the provider. Like, yes, we should work hard and we should seek to make use of the talents God has given us, but ultimately it's God who provides and 
ultimately God who provides our security and well-being. In Romans 12, one of, in Romans 12, verse 1, Paul tells us, he said, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And it seems that one of the undeniable patterns of the world, especially modern American culture, is a, a love of money and material things. Elsewhere, Jesus tells us that you can't serve two masters. Right? You can't serve both God and money. And by and large, by and large, our culture has, has chosen to serve money rather than God. But by practicing the Sabbath, we can declare that we have chosen to serve God rather than money. So the Sabbath, right? The, the rejection of, of two of the reasons many people are driven to overwork. Namely that it's their identity and that it's their, their sort of financial well-being and security. But Sabbath thing, it's also the rejection of another kind of work. The Sabbath is the, the rejection also of religious works. In Exodus 31, it's not on the screen, but it is on the inside of your bulletin. We read this in verse 12 and 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. God said that you are to to Sabbath, to stop and to cease, so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. So for us to practice the Sabbath is for us to acknowledge that we do not make ourselves holy by righteous deeds. We do not earn God's favor. We do not buy our way to holiness or make ourselves holy through work. Right? But it is God who makes us holy. Practicing the Sabbath is a declaration that our work, our religious work, are not our source of righteousness. Our works will never be enough to make us righteous. In Galatians 2, Paul says that we know that we are not justified by work of the law, but that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. It is God who makes us holy. and He, he does that when we place our faith in Jesus. If you're here and you've, you've never trusted Jesus and you've trying to just be good enough to make God happy with you so he'll let you into heaven someday, like, there's no works you can do to make yourself righteous. Only the work of Jesus on the cross will make you righteous. Only Jesus' perfect, sinless life given to you will be enough for you to be declared righteous by God. We talk about how all of the Old Testament really ultimately points forward to Jesus. And the Sabbath is no different. The Sabbath ultimately is a reminder that it is only by God's graciousness that 
we can enter into the ultimate, true, eternal rest. Because of Jesus doing the work that we could not do, that we can truly find ultimate rest, knowing that our sins have been dealt with. We will live and rejoice with God forever. So we, we practice the Sabbath to remind ourselves of that, to remind ourselves that Jesus is our ultimate rest. So as we close, I just want to invite you to again consider what it looks like would look like for you to to practice the Sabbath, right? Some, for some of you, like Sabbathing has been a key part of your life for many years. But for some, like, maybe it's something that's not really on your radar. For me, it was not really on my radar for a long time. We went to church on Sunday, but then Sunday just became another day, like another weekend day. We didn't take what it means to Sabbath seriously. So this week, actually yesterday, our our family kind of did our first like really intentional like Sabbath. We talked about what that would look like for us, and so for us, we started Saturday morning with a kind of special brunch, and it ends. We wanted like a morning ritual, a beginning ritual, and an ending ritual. And so for us, it starts with a special brunch on Saturday, and it ends with our worship service here today. That's kind of how our 24-hour Sabbath is looking right now. That's kind of our plan. It's flexible. It probably changed at some point, but that's where we're at right now. So yesterday, start out, we had cinnamon roll for brunch. It was great. We lit a candle. It was a great day. It was super relaxing and like, seemed like, oh, this Sabbath thing is going great. And if we were enjoying it, it was wonderful. We were just, it was great. Like, part of what made it great was that our second youngest daughter, Isla, napped, like, all afternoon, which she never naps, and so that should have, like, been red flags, but I was, like, in the moment, I was just, like, sweet. Like, she's quiet and out of the way. It's great. So then, you may notice, both of you know her, like, my wife, Vanessa's not here. Our younger two kids are not here. So, last night, Around bedtime, both of them started feeling quite sick. Like, so we, that didn't go great. And then, like, especially Vanessa, like, barely slept last night, right? And so, suddenly, Sabbath is not so Sabbathy anymore. <laughs> like, we're up with sick kids. Isla throwing up on me. It's like, doesn't feel like Sabbath. Right? And, like, I share all that or because like the point is not that the Sabbath has to be perfect. Right? What it looks like for you to practice Sabbath needs to be perfect every time. It's never going to be perfect. But still, like taking that time to think about what it looks like for you to rest, to stop worrying about work, to stop being driven by materialism, like taking the time to think through for yourself what it looks like for you and your situation. 
is valuable. It reminds us that like, we belong to God. We have been redeemed by God, and we are His. We're called to live the life that He's called us to live. Not a life in line with our culture and our society. We're called to stand apart, to be unique, to live the life that God has called us to live. And the Sabbath is a way to do that. I just invite you, if Sabbathing has not been on your radar, to consider what it looks like for you and your family and your situation. Not that to be perfect, not that you have to get it right the first time, but to consider what it looks like to put the Sabbath into practice in your life. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your goodness to us and, and how you created us and how you made us with this need for rest built into us as your creature made in your image how you and your wisdom have given us this rhythm of keeping the Sabbath. But Father, for each of us here, I pray that whatever we decide it looks like in our situation, for our family and our current life situation, would it serve to help us rest, to Remember that this world is not our home, but that we belong to you and we look forward to eternity in the new heavens and the new earth, our, our ultimate home where we will be at rest. Father, would we delight in this day you've given us We delight in the fact that you love us enough to provide for our needs, even our great spiritual need of a Savior when you sent Jesus. We delight that our salvation does not depend on our work, which will never be enough, but on faith in Jesus. Father, as we begin to put some of these things into practice in our lives, would we feel refreshed? Would we feel closer to you? Would we feel a more deep, keen appreciation for all you've done for us in Jesus? Father, would taking time to stop and to rest, would it move us to delight in and worship you above all else? Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go out from here this morning, would you go 
delighting in the fact that God has given you rest. And God has given you this day to stop and rejoice and worship Him. Would you go knowing that you belong to God and that God will provide for all your needs? You are dismissed.